Fantastic. Great. Well, good morning, guys. Great to see you. How you all doing? You all right? Yeah? Good. Glad to hear it. Um, I don't know how many of you, I imagine most of you, but probably not all of you, um, but I don't know how many of you are on um, Facebook or on some kind of social media. I, uh, I have to admit that I, I kind of caved my, on my principles and joined Facebook fairly recently. Don't use it an awful lot. Um, but one of the things that you discover quickly if you're, um, you're on kind of social media or Facebook or anything like that is there's a nearly constant stream of quizzes of all sorts of different kinds. Um, you know, quizzes that you can take to find out your IQ, quizzes you can take to find out your personality type, quizzes you can take on the silly side to, to find out who, which celebrity are you most like or which starship captain would you be um, if you were a sci-fi fan, um, In which I, I am, I have to confess, that's one that I did do, but um, there we go. Um, yesterday, though, I, I came across a, a quiz and, uh, which asked, which animal would best suit your personality? Uh, I don't know what you think, if you have a think for yourselves, which animal might best suit your personality, what you think that might be, or maybe an even more interesting question to find out the answer to, which, which animal you think might best suit me and my personality and, and who I am. Well, I did the quiz, and for anybody interested, why don't we see which animal I came out as. Here we go. <laughs> Apparently, I am most like a penguin. I certainly wasn't expecting that. I don't know if, uh, if you were. But, uh, give a little waddle. It's, uh, you know. um, but according to, uh, to the quiz, apparently what that means is that I take life in its stride. I don't let the big issues of the world stand in my way. I enjoy spending time with friends, uh, but I still have time for my family. So it's not so bad to be a penguin after all, uh, which is good. So I wonder, though, what kind of animals you probably wouldn't want to be associated with. Um, there were a few things I can think of. I don't think I'd want to be associated with something like a snake or a crocodile. If that came up there, you know, I think of a snake or a crocodile and the personality type would be pretty sneaky uh, and aggressive. Um, but another animal that I, I wouldn't really want to be associated with is, is this one, if we can move on. I wouldn't particularly want to be associated with a chicken. Um, I don't know what you first off think of when you think of chickens, but personally, when I think of chickens, I think they lack something upstairs. They don't have an awful lot in the, in the brains department. But, what was that, Becky? Compared to a penguin, exactly, a penguin's got to be intelligent, hasn't it? It's, uh, it's pretty good. But I think we probably have more in common with a chicken than we might like to admit at first glance. A man once said this. He said, take ten chickens, any ten, put them in a pen together and spread a little chicken feed. In short order, you will witness an amazing phenomenon. In a matter of minutes, the chickens, previously strangers, will form a hierarchy based on dominance. Or in everyday language, they will establish a pecking order. Instinctively, they will determine through a series of skirmishes who the number one chicken will be. Then the number two, the number three, all the way down to the unlucky number ten chicken. Much is at stake in this dance of domination. Chicken number one pecks at and intimidates chicken number two. Chicken number two will turn around and peck away at chicken number three, who will in turn take out its frustration on chicken number four. The pecking order continues all the way down to chicken number ten, who, needless to say, has a pretty miserable life. Pecked, but no one to peck. It's the life of a chicken. And the thing is, this fight for recognition, this fight for status, this fight to climb up the ladder of success, to be higher up the pecking order, isn't unique to chickens, is it? You know, in fact, it's something that we see all around us. Whether it be at work, or with our friends, or with family, in every situation where you seem to get a group of people together, 
there's subconsciously this kind of putting of this pecking order into place and where do I do that I fit within that. And while it happens in almost every community, I think we probably see it best in the workplace. You know, when people talk about careers, their ambition is never to stay in the place that they start, is it? You know, when you, you begin a career, your ambition is always to move upwards. It's always to grow in responsibility, to become a person of authority and a person of power within your workplace. It's to go up the pecking order. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in, in fact, in and of itself, it, it's perfectly fine. You know, in the workplace or anywhere else, it's good to make the most of the talents and the abilities and the gifts that God has given us. And to be the best that we can be. The danger comes when we start to make it the focus of our lives. When it shapes our decision making. And the way that we relate to the people around us. The danger comes when everything starts to revolve around climbing up this ladder of success. Or getting to the top of the pecking order. And staying there. And when that's the case, if we're not careful, when we look out at situations, all that we see is what it is that we can gain in that situation. And when we look out at people, all that we see is what we can get from them and what we can gain from them. And we're continuing our series this morning, Inspiring Influence. And, you know, as we've been going through it, we've been taking a look at the example of different characters that we come across in the Bible and what it is that we can learn from them about how we can be an inspiring influence in the different environments that we find ourselves. And this morning we're going to look at, um, at the character of Jesus. And what we find as we do that is that, as we look at Jesus, we see something of a person of great influence that inspires others that is radically different to what we see with the kind of influence that you get when you're at the top of the pecking order. Why don't we have a look together? We're going to start by having a look at a conversation that Jesus has with his followers um, in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Um, Look it up in your Bibles, up on the screen too, and and I'll read it out so you can follow along. This is what it says. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. This is talking about something which has just happened previously. And it says again, he, Jesus, took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You know, when you stop and think about what's going on in, in this kind of scene, it's actually pretty incredible. You just try and imagine the scene for a moment. Jesus and his followers are on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus, he takes his 12 closest followers to one side. And he tries to explain to them, these years that we've had together have been great, but it's not going to stay this way. You need to get ready for some hard times. When we get to Jerusalem, I don't want you to be surprised. It's not going to be like when we've been there before. Things are going to be different, so get ready. And then Jesus gives this graphic description of what's going to happen to him. How he's going to be arrested and mocked and spat on and flogged and killed. And then three days later, he'll rise. Now, this is an incredibly tender moment as Jesus has taken those that he's closest to to one side and he's pouring out his heart to them as to what it is that's about to happen. And then the very next thing that happens, Mark says, then, straight afterwards, Jesus just poured out his heart to those who he's closest to and James and John come up to him and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We're sorry about all that flogging and spitting and mocking and things, but we want you to do us a favour. You know, if you're a parent, you might have had a moment kind of like this one, you know, with your children. And it was one of those precious moments where you're having a talk with them, maybe kneeling down by their bed or maybe at the dinner table. And, and you, you, you're just sharing something of your heart. And you, you're like, son, this is something that I want you to, to get. This is something which I think is so important. This is something which can, you know, it, it just matters. And I want you to know it and to get it. This is my heart and this is really important. And you're kind of sharing with them. And it's this intimate moment. And you kind of get to the end of it and you say, well, have you got any questions? And it's just quiet. And you're like, wow, this is so precious. And then you wait for a moment and then one of the children pipes up. Can we go and play now? Can we watch some TV? Yeah, that's what's just happened to Jesus. He's poured out his heart. He shared all these things that are going to happen to those who are closest to him that he cares about. And then James and John are like, will you do us a favour? Will you do whatever it is that we ask of you? That's always a bad question to start with, isn't it? You know that someone's going to ask for something big if that's how they start. And so Jesus pulls them to one side and he says to them, what is it do you want? And James and John essentially say to Jesus, we know you've been talking about flogging and spitting and things like that, but we know that after all of that, you're going to be king. And when you're king, we want to have the seats of honour. When you're king, we want to sit on your left and on your right. Now, their greatest concern at this point, their greatest concern, after Jesus has just poured out his heart to them, is that they would be near the top of the pecking order. That they would have the seats of honour. That they would be, have authority and power alongside Jesus. Their concern isn't about what's going to happen to Jesus. It's not about the other disciples. It's about what's going to happen to them. Their greatest concern is for themselves and this longing within their hearts to be at the top. I find it amazing Jesus doesn't get mad with them. He doesn't get cross with them at their selfishness. He just tries to explain to them that you don't understand what you're asking. And then while all this is going on, 
Mark tells us that the other ten disciples, they overhear something of of what's happened. And, And as they overhear this conversation, they become indignant with James and John. But they don't become indignant to James and John because of how insensitive they've been towards Jesus. When he's just shared his heart with them about everything which is going to happen. Now they don't become indignant at them for for asking a favour of Jesus in this kind of incredibly insensitive moment. They're indignant because they want to be at the left and the right. They're indignant because they want to be on top of the pecking order. They're indignant because they don't want anybody else to take a place that they think they deserve. And the next thing you, you know, you can almost imagine it's like this fight breaks out as they begin to fight and argue over who gets what when Jesus is king. And Jesus realizes, you guys just don't get it. You've not been paying attention. And so he calls them all together. And he says, before we get to Jerusalem, I know we've been over this before. I know I've said this to you before, but let's go over it one more time. And this is the moment where, where Jesus spells out for them what it is to be an inspiring influence in the kingdom of heaven. Where Jesus spells out to them what it is to be an inspiring influence and what that's all about for someone who's following him. And he says to them and he says to us, when you look around the world, you see those at the top of the pecking order. Those at the top of the ladder of success. And they are the people who lord it over everyone else. They are the people who leverage their authority and their wealth and their abilities and their talents to gain what they want. To gain what's best for them. To climb to the top and to stay there. And they regard everyone else as there is to serve them. You know, I remember when I, um, my, what my boss was like uh, when I worked for the insurance company up in Manchester. And um, a chap called Graham, and he was, he was a proper old school kind of um, authoritarian kind of boss. And he, he wasn't content with just knowing that he was in charge. He wanted to make sure you knew that he was in charge. And so when we were in the office, he would find all sorts of different little ways to make sure you knew who was in charge and to remind you of his, his position. You know, whether it be, you know, going in and asking for, for time off at a particular point and him refusing to give you those particular days just because he can. Whether it be the, um, I don't know, you were, uh, he would set unrealistic targets and then force you to stay late in order to meet them. Whether it be that he sat there and watched as you turned your phone on and he'd been looking at his watch and saw that you were a minute late and so he decided he was going to dock you both because you were a minute late turning your phone on. He would just find any and every way that he could to remind you, I'm in charge. You're here, this is my department, and you serve me. And you can imagine James and John and the rest of the others there thinking, yeah, that's right, that's what it means to be at the top of the pecking order. That's why we want to be there with you. We don't want to be ruled over. We don't want people treating us like that. We want to be the rulers. We want to sit in those places of honour at your left and at your right. And then Jesus cuts across what they're thinking with a simple statement. Not so with you. You see how this world operates and how people strive after gaining things for themselves. Leveraging their position and their influence to try and climb up the pecking order. Well, not so with you. Not so with you. And Jesus, in his characteristic way, he turns things completely upside down. And he says, if you're going to follow me, if you claim to be one of my followers, you need to follow my example. And here's how you do it. Whoever wants to become great among you, 
Whoever wants to climb the ladder of success in my kingdom, whoever wants to be at the top of the pecking order and have a role of influence in the lives of others for me, here's how it works. Whoever wants to be great among you must be their servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus takes everything that they know, everything they know about authority and power and influence in the lives of other people, and he turns it upside down. Jesus is saying, in whatever position you find yourself, you are to leverage your influence for the sake of others. We are to give up our time, our resources, our talent for the sake of others. Whether it's at church, at home, or in the workplace. Jesus redefines what it means to be great. He redefines what it means to be a person of influence. And he says what it means to be great is to serve. It's to give your life away. Not so that you can be at the top, but for the sake of others. And it's not just something that Jesus talks about. He doesn't just have this great conversation about it. It's not just something that he thinks teaches well. He goes beyond that and he lives out an example of what it looks like. I wonder if he, one of the reasons he did this is because of this conversation. You know, just they're there traveling to Jerusalem. And then when they arrive in Jerusalem, just a little bit later, this is what we read in, in John 13, verses 1 to 5. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew he was at the top of the pecking order. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the amazing thing is that this event happens just hours before Jesus is going to die. And he knew he was going to die in just hours' time. Now, if you knew you were going to die a violent death in about 12 hours' time, how would you use those 12 hours What would you want to do with them? Would you be alone in prayer? Would you spend time with your loved ones? What would you do? Now for Jesus, he chose in those precious few hours to live out as an example just how important it is to humbly serve one another. And through this act of of service, he says, this is me showing you the full extent of my love. And you can't even begin to imagine, I don't think, how awkward a moment this must have been for, for Jesus' followers who were there with him. You know, in their culture, you wore open-toed sandals, and you walked on dusty, dirty roads. And when you arrived at a place, you had your feet washed by the lowest servant as you lounged on a couch. And this isn't like us sitting um, at a table up in a straight-backed kind of chair with our feet tucked under the table or, or whatever else. Or You know, this is... You know, they would be, have been sat at a, on a couch, lounging around on a couch with their head up by the table and their feet tucked around behind them. And the reason that they did that is because they didn't even want to see the servant who was washing their feet because they weren't worthy of being seen while they were together. And for whatever reason, no one had arranged for there to be someone there to wash their feet. 
And as we've already seen, the disciples, in their heads, they're all just fighting amongst one another about who's going to have this seat of honour and position and greatness. And then Jesus gets up. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the leader. He's the one that they follow. He's the one at the top of their pecking order. And Jesus gets up. And he says, I'm going to show you what it really looks like to love. What it really looks like to be a person of influence. To be an inspiring influence in the lives of others. And he picks up a towel. He gets on his knees and he washes their feet. He serves. You know, it's hard for us to get our head around just how radical this is. But the closest thing I could think of is it would be like if for the Queen's birthday she decided she was going to come to your house for dinner. And at the end of dinner, she dismisses you to the living room to go and watch TV while she goes to the kitchen and does the washing up. This is completely preposterous that the person of privilege, the person of power, the person who's in charge, the person at the top of the pecking order would be the one who would get down on their knees and wash the disciples' feet. It's radical stuff. And afterwards, Jesus says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, but do you understand what it is that I've just done for you? I've talked to you about this before, but now I've set you an example to follow. And now that I, your teacher and your Lord, have done this and washed your feet, now that I've served you, you also ought to serve one another. Now that you know these things, he says, you will be blessed if you do them, if you put it into action. You know, for Jesus, this isn't just some nice theory. It's something that shaped every part of who he was and how he lived. It was at the heart of Jesus' purpose. I love the statement where he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The whole reason that I came was to serve to pour out my life, to give my life for your sake. And it's one of the most radical aspects of Jesus' teaching. And it's one of those things that as followers of Jesus, it's easy to say, yeah, we know that. It's easy to to nod and agree. But to actually take a step back and to realize that Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That this mindset is to shape every part of every area of our lives. I think that's incredibly challenging. You know, to ask ourselves in every situation that we come into, how can I leverage, how can I use my position, my talents, my abilities, my resources, my gifts, not just to further myself, not just to have the life that I want to have, not just so that I can be happy, but for the sake of others. And I don't know about you, but I think it can be easier sometimes to have that mindset in some context than it can in others. You know, it's one thing, isn't it, to get together as, as, as church and to, to, say, to say, you know, within church, I want to have this mindset um, of serving, of putting others first. It's completely different and far more challenging to have that mindset in your workplace, isn't it? To go about your work looking for opportunities to give of who you are to help someone else in their work. You know, to not look down on all of the people who you think actually aren't very good at their job and are less successful than you. 
but instead to look at them for opportunities to use your talents and your gifts and your abilities to help them and to raise them up in their work. Not to look at the people who are are really successful and are above us and are doing a great job and secretly be kind of waiting for them to make a mistake because that would bring us so much happier. But to actually look for an opportunity to serve them and to make their life easier. You know, I think to approach life in this way with our families, in our marriages, you know, with our husbands and our wives, with our friends, you know, in church, it is a radical shift in thinking. A radical shift from the way that the world tells us that we should do things. It's a radical shift from approaching every situation thinking, what can I get out of it? How can I be the most successful in it? How can I be the happiest? And because it's a radical shift, when we do that, we will stand out. Now, we're not going to look at it right now, but if you, if you read Philippians 2, where Paul talks about how Jesus is serving and the way that he, he gives and pours himself out, he finishes it by saying, you will shine like stars in the universe. You know, as we follow Jesus' example, we would stand out and shine like stars in the universe. We would display something of who Jesus is. We would be an inspiring influence in the lives of the people around us in just the way that Jesus intended us to be. So I want to leave you with a, a very simple practical idea of how you can try and put this into practice. In the situations that you find yourself in this week, whether it's at home with your husband and your wife, whether it's out at work or with your friends or, you know, off at some kind of club, whatever it might be, or a small group or with other guys from church, whatever it is, ask God to highlight one person for you. One person that you're with. And then ask yourself, how can I help them? How can I make their life easier? How can I lighten their load? How can I serve them? And whatever comes to mind, just do it. They may not ever even know that you've done it. They may not even notice, not a job. But you know, it doesn't matter. Because as you take something that Jesus has taught, as you are obedient to to what it is that he has, has said... You are putting something that you know into practice. And Jesus says, as you do that, you will be blessed. Because ultimately, I'm the one that you're serving. Now, in the same way, maybe for, for you, it's not just about thinking about other individuals and, and going into those contexts and thinking about people. Maybe it's actually about thinking to an organization. How can I serve this business? How can I help this business? To, to thrive where I work? How can I serve and, and help in the life of the church? You know, the different ministries where there's a need, just in every context, to have the mindset of asking yourself, how can I help? How can I help? And when you ask yourself that question, whether it's to do with another person or another organization or the church or whatever it might be, you know, if nothing comes to mind, then... Don't worry about that either. You can simply go and ask the person that question you've been asking yourself. Ask them, how can I help you? 
How can I pray for you? How can I do something to make things easier for you? And even if that person says they're okay, they don't need anything, then you're just showing your heart that your heart is there to help them, to serve them, to bless them, to be there for them, will stand out. It will shine like a star in the universe. It will put on display something of who Jesus is. And you will be an inspiring influence. So, this week I want to encourage you to keep that question at the forefront of your mind. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, to walk into the situation while you're there, to just to ask yourself, maybe you have to ask them if you need to, how can I help? It's a simple question, but I think that mindset and that question has the power to change everything in how we relate to people. And I mentioned before, I love the fact that Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve. And when you stop and think about that, it's just incredible. You know, this is the creator of the universe. This is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who has all power. The one who holds the whole universe in the palm of his hands. You know, if anyone has the right to demand service and refuse to serve others, it's Jesus. And yet he looks at you and he looks at me. And his heart is so moved by love that he is moved to serve. He's moved to serve even when it's a sacrifice, even when it costs him. He's willing to lower himself below those that he's created by washing their feet. You know, he even washes Judas's feet. We read that statement that Judas had already made the decision to betray him. And Jesus gets down on his knees and washes his feet. He looks at you and he looks at me and he sees our need. Now he sees the wrong things that we've done. He sees the brokenness in our lives. And he is so moved by love that he is willing to become our servant. Willing to become a servant to our need, even when it costs him. He is willing to sacrifice himself even to the point of death on the cross because of our need. Because he's serving us so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be healed, so that we can be made whole, so that we can have life to the full and relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? That's Jesus. That's our God. Now, for some of you, as you fix your eyes on on Jesus, maybe you'll be stirred again by his example. Stirred with a sense of of God's calling you up to something more in service. But for some of you, as you fix your eyes on Jesus, maybe actually what you realize again is your own need. Your need for his help. Your need for him to come and serve you. Your need for his forgiveness, for his strength for his healing in your life. And this morning as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have an opportunity to respond to him. You know, we said earlier, didn't we? All Jesus is wanting is for us to be available. It's to open the door to him. To let him in. You have an opportunity this morning to receive his help. Whether that's being washed clean by his forgiveness or whether that be allowing him to soften your heart in the way that you see others, so you can begin to step up in following his example. 